Thank you, worship team. I, that was that was fantastic. That got me going this morning. Um, and Jessica, thank you for getting up here and giving the uh, the announcements. You know, I I thought that was really interesting how she talked about she started off um, behind the scenes, and that's a good place for us to be able to start off. That's how I did it too. I started off uh, setting up chairs. That was the first place I had the opportunity to serve. And it was important because I wanted to help, but I didn't know how, and I knew I was never getting up on a stage, just like Jessica knew that too. And um, I mean, I say that kind of as a joke because you could find yourself up on stage. You never know when I'm going to ask you to do that. But, but seriously, we do need help. And so if you're interested in that, that would be, that would be great. But um, listen, Happy New Year. I hope you guys had a, uh, a great Christmas and a, a great new year so far. Um, <clears throat> my name is Mike, by the way. I'm the lead pastor here at, at uh, Alpine Church in Brigham. And, um, you know, it's interesting as we um, go through a new year's, you, you know, you guys are, you guys have done this before where you've started a new year's resolution, right? And some of you have done that this year and you're still going and some of you aren't still going um, on your new, year, new year's resolution. But, Dave and I were talking a couple weeks ago about doing a, uh, a Bible in a year reading plan. And so we've started that. We started that yesterday on the Version Bible app. And if you've never read through the entire Bible, I want to invite you to come and make that your New, new, year's, resolu- new year's resolution. There we go. Um, but the Version Bible app is the, is the app that we're going to do that on. And so um, I would encourage you to do that. It's, you still have plenty of time to get caught up if you haven't started that with us. But um, anyway, so let's get into this into this message um, today. This is the uh, the first week of this of this new sermon series uh, called the Trinity, right? And this is a very common question that that comes up um, in ministry, especially here locally, because the Trinity is hard to understand. It simply, it simply is. In fact, I will go a step further and I'll say that it is impossible for us to fully understand the Trinity, but that doesn't mean that we should shy away from learning about it because although we will never fully understand the idea, God did give us plenty of information to be able to be comfortable with it and more importantly, to believe it. So I wanna start off with a, a verse That'll, that'll help make this point, sort of as a, as a yardstick, right? Um, and that is Deuteronomy 29, 29 that says, the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. Now, the reason why I included that in here is because I want to make two points here before, as we get going. One, there are simply things about God and, and, and things known by God that we cannot understand. And that's okay, right? That's a good place to understand that there are some things we will never fully be able to understand. But the second point here is that we and our children are accountable Right? That means that we must, we must um, take a position on it and we need to be able to explain and, and teach other people the things that God does tell us. <clears throat> now, this idea of the Trinity can be a real st- stumbling block for people 
who may have missed a critical dynamic of God's nature. And so we're going to dig into this, this mystery both today and through this, this series. And I think that we're going to see ample proof for the concept to be taught and believed. But we'll also dive into important points about God's nature and his character, both helping us to know him better and continuing that relationship with him. So as I get into the first point here, is this. The Trinity explained is there is one God who exists eternally in three persons. It's kind of a tough, kind of a tough thing to wrap your head around. Now, over the years, I've heard several attempts to use analogies to sort of explain the Trinity. And, you know, at, at times they've been helpful. Um, maybe you've heard some of these. One, um, I heard the Trinity described as an egg right? You have one egg, but it's got three distinct parts, the yolk, the whites, and the shell, right? Each of those, each of those parts has a distinctly different characteristic, um, but you need all of them to make up the egg. Or water. The chemical makeup is the same, but it can exist as a steam, liquid, or ice, right? So, I mean, you can kind of see how maybe you, you, you're able to at least get an, you know, an idea of this concept. Or here's a more personal idea. I am a son, I'm a husband, and I'm a father, but I'm all Mike, right? Now my relationship as, as a son is different than my relationship as a father, right? I, I interact with my wife differently than I do with my son or with my dad. But I, so I have, I have di three roles there, and yet all of them are me, okay? Now, none of these none of these analogies really fully encapsulate the character of God or how the three distinct parts relate to each other. So you see, this, this, the biblical doctrine of the Trinity is hard to understand, and that's why we're calling this a mystery. But although it's hard to understand, it isn't hard to define. See, from the Old Testament onward, the Bible clearly teaches that there is only one God. Yet the early Christians heard Jesus claim to be God. They saw him do miracles. They heard him forgive people's sins, which, which only God can do. They heard him identify himself with the God of the Old Testament. And ultimately, they heard him claim to be God. And then they saw him raised back to life from the dead in a glorified body. Uh, obviously something that, that certainly no human can do on their own. So the early Christians heard this spoken of often. In fact, in John 1.1, it says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. And then just 11 verses later, it clarifies who the word is. In verse 14, it says, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. <clears throat> and then a couple verses later goes on and names him. It explains it's Jesus Christ. And then further in the New Testament in Colossians, uh, Colossians 1 verse 15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, 
God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. See, he's, there's a, 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 this, a, con, a concept of eternality here, right? He, he existed before anything was created. But then it also talks about, you know, he made the things that we can't see, explaining again that there are things about the world that we, we simply can't see and can't fully understand. So the early Christians, they heard this spoken of often, and they experienced the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So God's people had to figure out how to maintain this idea, this understanding of the oneness of God that they had come to understand, while also holding equally to the deity of the Son and of the Spirit. Now, this didn't happen overnight. These guys wrestled with this just like, just like we can do. But all the basic ingredients were there in the Bible from day one. But it took the church several generations um, through a number of false ideas about Jesus and God to figure out how to accurately talk about these key ideas. So it has come to be stated, like we said a minute ago about the, the Trinity, there is one God who exists eternally in three persons. A nature that so perfectly demonstrates relationship that loves, serves, and glorifies each other. So now, please understand that this is, uh, this is not in any way suggesting three gods. In fact, like I said, it's one God existing in three distinct persons, all eternal. Maybe this will kind, of, uh, kind of help. You'll see God the Father is, is not the Son, he's not the Holy Spirit but he is God, fully God and fully eternal. God the Son, Jesus, is not the Father and he's not the Holy Spirit, but he's fully God. God the Holy Spirit is not the Father or the Son, but is fully God. This is the Trinity. One God simultaneous, right? One God simultaneously existing in three distinct persons, all of them eternal, okay? Now, you know, last week I was, uh, I was driving with my daughter Amelia here and um, in standard, you know, dad joke fashion, as we pulled up to the house, I asked her, I said, you know, why do you park on a driveway and drive on a parkway, right? And she immediately came back with this question of, if you drop soap on the ground, is the soap dirty or is the ground clean? So it's, it's a paradox, right? It's, it's a mystery based on, the way that we understand things to be. So this classic definition of God, it includes two key ideas that are a bit of a paradox themselves. So first, God is a unity. This refers to his basic essence or being. His essence, meaning his, his intrinsic nature is undivided. Not three separate gods working together. Right? And we can clearly see that this throughout the Bible, that there is, there is only one God. Now, next week, Pastor Adrian will be up here, and he's going to dive into that more, um, into, the, into the God is one um, idea to help us understand that. But the second key idea is that God is also a diversity. This, re this is, is reference to the three divine 
persons distinctive from each other, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who interact with each other from eternity past, but also interact with, with humanity. And we're, gonna, we're going to dig into that, that distinctive diversity um, in weeks three and four. But you may still be asking yourself, does it even matter if I believe this? or even, even try to understand this? Well, I say yes. Yes, it does matter. It matters that we have a desire to understand, to better understand the God of the universe. But more importantly, is that our very salvation hinges on the nature of who God is. So today's message is kind of an introduction to the Trinity. The goal being that you can articulate the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. So let's say this together. There is one God who exists eternally in three persons. That's the way to explain it, okay? There is one God who exists eternally in three persons. And again, with this series, what we want, what we're hoping is to, is that you will understand why we say that and see how the Bible backs up this mysterious word. So please plan on joining us through this whole series. But this brings us to our second point, which is even though the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, the idea of God being three in one is found, excuse me, throughout its pages. Now, the truth is a lot of people will, will pump the brakes right here and claim that the Bible doesn't use the word Trinity, so the idea must be man-made. But the word Trinity is simply a, a, the word Trinity or Trinitas in, in, in uh, Latin um, is a combining of, of two other Latin words, unitas meaning unity and trios meaning three. And the concept of, a, of a, a unity of three is prevalent throughout the Bible from the very beginning even. In Genesis chapter one, verse one and two, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. The spirit of God was was there at the very, very beginning. And then later on in the chapter, it said, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So one, it says in our image, so it's, it's plural. There, you know, he's, there's, there's a plurality there. But remember what we just read in Colossians. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He's in, in our image, right? <clears throat> so when we jump to the New Testament, though, we'll see that Jesus refers to the Trinity in several places. Uh, for example, in Matthew 28, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, immediately before this verse, Jesus is telling the disciples that he has been given all authority in heaven and earth. So in mentioning them all together, he's referencing each of their roles in the Godhead. And later, the Apostle Paul refers to the Trinity in several places as well. Um, Here's one right here in 2 Corinthians 13. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And again, by referencing each of them as he talks about God, about God, he's acknowledging this unity of the three. 
Same thing with the apostle Peter. In 1 Peter 1 verse 2, it says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. See, the Father chooses us. The Spirit makes us holy. Jesus cleanses our sins by his sacrifice on the cross. Both Paul and Peter are are very intentional here about mentioning all three persons as they speak about God. And just like these examples, the concept of the Trinity is all over the Bible. It's, it's interwoven throughout because God wanted us to see glimpses of his nature. And, and he wanted us to be able to really get to know his character. And as we get to know his, his character, we'll better understand um, the third point here, which is God's nature is a mystery to us because God is fundamentally different from us. So to accept the idea of the Trinity, you have, to get, you have to get comfortable with the idea that God is radically different than human beings. The biblical word for this is holy. And in Hebrew, that word means to be set apart or set apart uh, with a purpose. God's a completely different kind of being than us. Um, In Isaiah 57, I don't think I have a slide for this. I don't. In Isaiah 57, verse 15, it says, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in a high and holy place. So not only a different place, but infinitely higher than us is is his being. God is boundless and we're limited, right? God is the creator and we are the created. God is self-existent, and, and meanwhile, we can't exist without him. So think about the difference between you and, and say, an, an amoeba. Andy, that's a one-celled organism, just so you know. An amoeba, right? Can you imagine the perspective of the difference that you have from an amoeba? Amoeba, it doesn't understand size. It doesn't understand its relativity to the the rest of the world. It doesn't understand music. It doesn't understand any of that. And how much greater are God's ways than ours, than us over uh, an amoeba? It's just, it's it's mind-blowing when you think of how much higher above us God is. But wait, you might say we're, but we're created in God's image, right? I mean, we just read that in in Genesis 1, well, we certainly do reflect a likeness to God. Some of his qualities are, are mirrored in human beings, like our capacity to love, our capacity to reason, or our ability to communicate. God chose human beings to represent him in the world, but none of that suggests that we are the same kind of being as God, right? The image you see in the, in the mirror reflects you, but it's not an independent human being. It's just a, it's a reflection of. And this is why God alone is worthy of our worship. You and I are, are not worthy of that and never will be. 
In Revelation 4, verse 11, it says, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. That can't be said of you or me, right? So we start with the understanding that God is infinitely greater than us. God is, is infinite and I am finite. That means that there will be aspects of his character, of, of God's nature, that I will simply never be able to grasp. Listen to how it's expressed in, in Job 11. It says, can you solve the mysteries of God? Can you discover everything about the Almighty? It goes on and says, such knowledge is higher than the heavens. And who are you? It's deeper than the underworld. What do you know? It's humbling. It's humbling to be sure. And I'm okay with that because God is God and I'm not. In Romans 11, verse 33, it says, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible is it for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Guys, when I think about how, you know, how big and how holy and how awesome God is, And then I remember that he sent his only son to be offered up on the cross as a sacrifice for my sins when he owed me nothing. When I, when I reflect on the infinity, the awesomeness of God, his transcendence, it makes me want to get on my knees in awe and in wonder like the creatures we, we read about in Revelation 4. It says, and instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. A few verses later it says, and around the, the throne were four living beings. Day after day and night after night, they, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. As I reflect on this infinite, holy being, as we close here, this infinite, holy being who is so far above my ways, so, so, so far above my, my ability to even comprehend, all I can say is, wow. Even though we can never fully grasp his ways, even though we can't, we can't even come close to, to being able to figure out all of, of, of God's secrets. He took the initiative to reveal himself to us. He wants to know us. He wants to be in relationship with us. That's God's desire is to, is to be known by us. To be in a loving relationship with the God of the universe, this, this majestic, infinite God invites you to know him and to love him. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, uh, you are so awesome. It is, it's humbling to, um, to think about this lesson and then even to, to speak to you, to, to,
to think that somebody is as small and, and finite as me has the ability to speak to you, for you to hear my heart, for you to, to hear the, the, the cries of the hearts of everybody in this room is amazing. It is it's so much more than we deserve, Lord. The, the, the boundlessness of, of your desire to be in relationship with us, to love us so much that, that despite the, the, the sins that we've committed in our lives, that you would send your son as an opportunity for, as, a, as a sacrifice so that we would have the opportunity to be, to be back in relationship with you is it's mind-boggling. And so rather than try to wrap my head around understanding why you would do that, Lord, I just accept that you did. And I love you for it. And I love that, that I can't explain that. I love that I can't fully explain your nature. But Lord, I have a desire to be able to share that with other people. And I just ask, Lord, that you would help all of us to be able to do that. That, that you give us opportunities in our, in our day and in our week to sit and just think and ponder on your greatness, on this character that you have, that, that you could be simultaneously three eternal persons in one, in, in one God. Lord, that, that, that you are so big um, and that you, that you love and have a desire to be in personal relationship with us. Lord, I thank you so much for that, for that relationship. I thank you that for, for, demonstrating the relationship so that we can do that with each other. And so, Lord, as we go into this new year, I ask that we would, we would be mindful of that and that we would uh, uh, strive to be able to be in relationship with each other the way that you set the, the bar for us. Lord, we're so thankful and we love you. And we say this in Jesus' name. Amen.